0: The following programme contains discussion of content some listeners may find distressing. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Catch Up Club, the podcast of films that you probably should have seen by now. I'm your host. Dr. Stephen Platt, thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. And this week, it's a streetcar named Desire the film from 1951 it's turning 70 years old so we figured ah, oh, let's bust out the uh, hard to track down dvd and watch uh, this classic starring vivian lee and marlon brando as always we have someone who has seen the film and someone who has not our guest who has not seen the film it's dr sarah curtis
1: hi dr platt
0: oh hello yes uh, it, it's still new and weird uh, i bet it is yes uh how are you though
1: I'm good, thanks. How are you?
0: Uh, pretty pretty relieved, mostly, yeah. uh, but also good. You've not seen A Streetcar Named Desire?
1: I know, I know. Uh, we studied it in year 11. Um, I played Blanche, um, so I should have you know, watched it at some point. I guess I was a really bad student and didn't do any of the readings, watchings, viewings, etc. You know, I was a bad student, let's face it.
0: Mm, Don't know yeah. how I got a PhD. Bad students make good teachers. I'm increasingly finding, uh, but that's what I'm banking on. <laughs> but um, so, so you've not seen it. So, what do you know about specifically this film version of Streetcar?
1: Um, my, I'm picturing a lot of blue. Okay. So that's that's pretty much yeah. I don't know why, but it feels like it has like a lot of blue tones in my head um, to the film. Could mm-hmm. be wrong um
0: I, I think you might be wrong yeah because uh, yeah, yeah. this is a black and white film <laughs> yeah. as i yeah. to understand it uh, came out in 1951
2: <laughs> yeah so maybe
1: it's just you know having seen like the cover of it or something mm. i feel like that is blue um so mm. yeah. could have been
0: you you saw a passing image of it through the cellophane of a sweet you'd taped to your face maybe
1: <laughs> could be yeah. so obviously um i i know that you know it's an adaptation of the play mm-hmm. um yeah, that's a on her.
0: Okay, well luckily we have someone who has seen the films It is Mr. Patrick Downs Stephen! Hi <laughs> How you doing, Patrick? I'm good um, Patrick, it's it's been a little while since we had you on I think um, Star Wars Episode 2 was the last time <laughs> wasn't, wasn't it Moulin Rouge? Oh, we have done that since yeah. Okay, yes yeah. Okay, it's still, still, it's been, it's a, been a couple, a couple months. of months it's been a couple of months How's, hey, how's hey, everything? Back month. How's everything? How is everything in the world of Mr. Downs? Oh, just top-notch. Excellent. Tickety-boo, couldn't be better. Wonderful. Streetcar Named Desire. Streetcar Named Desire. Um, in a vague, non-spoilery sort of way, what can people who've not seen the film, like Sarah and myself, expect? Okay, well, to not to spoil Streetcar Named Desire,
2: a <laughs> play that came out in 1947, I think. Um, no, I mean, it's 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 a fantastic film. Um, Streetcar is one of my favourite plays. Mm. I think it's wonderful and i've never actually had the opportunity to perform it aside from like excerpts in high school as well um so you know the 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 film is great the acting is is really brilliant there are quite a few changes from the play um which they made for you know it's from the 50s so they're made for uh, censorship reasons basically I find
1: it interesting that they've al- that Tennessee Williams allowed changes because he's notorious for not wanting anything to be different in mm. his in adaptations mm, yeah. so well, that's going to be interesting to see it would be interesting
2: yeah. um but no I mean I I don't really know what to say that's sort of non-spoilery it's 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 very it's a very very good adaptation mm. i think it's a really great movie um it will be interesting to see considering it's been a really long time since i've actually watched it um,
0: yeah. Okay, well, with all that- as, you, as you
2: can probably imagine, I'm biased to this, to this, uh, play, this story, so... Mm. yeah,
0: that's okay. Yeah. Biases are allowed. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'd like, <laughs> probably be more worried if you were completely ambivalent, yeah. like, I saw it. <laughs> I gave a crap, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it was fine. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, with all that being said, shall we watch A Streetcar Named Desire? Let's watch it. Let's do it. Okay, for those of you listening at home, pop in those DVDs, load up those streaming services, and prepare to rely on the kindness of strangers as we watch... A Streetcar Named Desire. This is a message for our listeners in the Perth region. Who wants to see a murder mystery play sometime in the month of September? Why? All of us, of course. So why not book your tickets for Clue, the stage adaptation of the 1980s film, featuring yours truly. That's right, if you want to see uh, the host of the Cinema Catch-Up Club do some acting chops himself, book your tickets now for the production being staged at the Melville Theatre. The shows are at 8pm. Tickets available for most nights. The 2pm matinee on the 19th of September is sold out, but the show runs from the 10th until the 25th of September. Tickets are $25 or $20 concession and you can book at www.taztix.com.au. That's t a z t i x.com.au. And uh, fans of the Cinema Catch-up Club will also notice uh, one or two other members of our little podcast parish either appearing or working on the show. So Book your tickets for Clue now, and come and help us solve this murder mystery. Welcome back, everybody. We have just finished watching a streetcar named Desire, and I'm joined once again by uh, special guest Patrick Downs. Hello. And Dr. Sarah Curtis. Hello. Sarah, that was your first time watching Streetcar Named Desire.
1: It was. What did you think? Why were we allowed to do this as school students? Like, I'm watching it going, what the hell? Who decided this was appropriate content for the school curriculum?
2: How how old were you?
1: 15? Yeah,
2: okay, yeah, that's a good question. Oh, no, it would be you. You'd be 16, 17. No. No?
1: I I was at uni by 16. I was about 14 when I was in year 11.
0: She's a child prodigy.
2: Okay, well, for the rest of us, <laughs> sorry, yeah, okay. So for the other 99% of us, we would cover it when we we're about 16 or 17. Which even yeah. so,
0: <laughs> it, it's pretty it's pretty risqué. Like, yeah, I, I know sure. that, you know, teens <laughs> these days are aware of those things, and yeah. teens those days were aware of those things. But it's it's pretty full on, Patrick. Um, yeah. I, I mean... <laughs> don't play me, no, I didn't write it. <laughs> no, no, it's, it, 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 it was more... So, so my experience with Streetcar is basically that simpsons musical like i've I've never seen the play performed i haven't seen the film so i was i was sort of familiar that this is the blanche dubois has a bad time story and that was about it um and it's it was very heavy but i i'm sort of because it's my first exposure to it i'm curious as someone who's seen the film and read the play and all those things um how was it for you revisiting this particular adaptation of it? I um, I actually really enjoyed it, and I know it's it's you know
2: get into it. I'm sure it's not with it's not without its faults. I know that you know it's kind of dated, obviously, but even just even for a movie from 1951, it still can be moments where it's like mm, I don't know. Hmm. But I still really enjoyed it. I think I I really, as I said before, I really like this the story. I think the the, the dialogue. And the plot just really resonate with me. And I think particularly Marlon Brando and Vivian Leigh were were really engaging to watch. Mm. As as Difficult as they were to understand at times. (laughs) There's Mm. just something about the two of them on screen. They're they're, they're really engaging actors.
0: Yeah. And I certainly, on reflection, there's not a lot of this film that made me go, oh boy, this thing is... Seventy years old now. Like it felt, yeah, yeah, It felt a little bit more. It didn't feel contemporary, uh, but it no. didn't feel of its time. It, it sort of felt like it almost had a little bit of a timeless quality to what was Definitely, happening. Definitely, yeah. Uh, I think
2: it was something you mentioned when we were watching it. In that it felt, and I'm thinking, I think more from like a filmmaking technique point of view. There were moments that felt pretty, you know, that made you made me go, oh yeah, it's old. But there was something you mentioned where. They really kind of had tried to keep it like a play mm. at times, and then they would put interstitial scenes in there where it's like, oh, well now we're at the bowling alley, which you don't actually see in the play, but mm. like they've tried to make it work with them, oh then we're straight back to the apartment, and there's lots of dialogue, and yeah. it's very play like and this is and a- perhaps they hadn't quite nailed the ability
0: to add uh, take to adapt a play to a film yet, yeah. And this is a two-hour film, Sarah. Um, I don't know about you, but for my first time watching it, I was surprised how quickly it skipped along. It didn't feel like a two-hour film to me.
1: That's interesting because about three quarters of the way through, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm done now. Like, okay. I'm ready for it to be over. And I knew that obviously it wasn't done because, you know, I was familiar at least with the play. Um, so I was like, okay, we've still got the rape scene to come and we've still got the, the madhouse scene to come. Yeah. Mm. Um, so I think because I was aware of what hadn't happened yet, mm. it sort of was felt a bit longer for me. Okay. Um, because, yeah, I, I knew it, but not enough to, to sort of, yeah, keep track of everything necessarily
0: Mm. Uh, the story such that it is for those of you who uh, are unfamiliar is um, Blanche Dubois comes to New Orleans Blanche
2: Dubois
0: oh sorry yeah should be in that voice we've got to do that yeah (laughs) Blanche Dubois. Uh, she arrives in New Orleans and visits her sister Stella.
1: Stella, for star.
0: Who is uh, living with her husband, the brutish Stanley. Um, <laughs> Stanley. And I'm going to stop there because it's quite irritating. But oh, but, uh, but
1: that's such a beautiful voice, <laughs> Stephen.
2: Uh, but maybe with his brand, it's like Stanley. 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 Stanley.
0: Stanley. He's a he's a hard one to do. He is, but (laughs) I feel like you got that sort of he's had a stroke somewhere during the film sort of impression. Because goodness me, he was hard to understand at times. At times, yeah. yeah. Um, But yeah, um, Blanche comes to town. She's living with her sister, but maybe not everything is as it seems. Maybe Blanche is uh, not on the up and up, and uh, maybe also the relationship between Stella and Stanley isn't exactly brilliant either. And maybe everyone's duplicitous in this film. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So yeah. Everyone sucks. Yeah. It's two hours of you suck and you suck and you suck. That's basically the film. Like the only character that kind of gets out of it is the baby. And they're literally born in the last five minutes. Yeah. That's why they, I'm sure if we hung around that baby, would be an absolute bastard as well
1: (laughs) i mean the poor baby has no real hope given the Mm. you know home life situation it's going to be raised in and i
2: think if we're going to be fair like that is sort of for me like the kind of the point Mm. one of the one of the themes of the play and of the story is like there's the 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 kind of the people that circumstance has turned these characters into you know like it's they're 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 kind of they're Blanche being kind of ha- having to roll with everything that happened with her past. And then, you know, Stanley being who he is given where he comes from and Stella kind of falling in with that. And it turns them into these kind of not great people. You know, the whole thing is about kind of well, that desires, but in that like deep seated kind of animalistic way, it's kind of about trying to survive. And I think
0: that is sort of a, I mean, there's a rabbit trying to get my attention. Oh yes, Nori the <laughs> rabbit is is floating around. We'll be interjecting at yeah. times, um, but yeah, it's it does it really effectively. Hmm. I, I, you know, I, I, big surprise, Tennessee Williams. He could write a story. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> But it's um, I, I I'm I'm pleased with how well it has translated to film because we we've reviewed hmm. a few plays which have been adapted into films on this program, and I've seen some others. Even not reviewing for this program, and it, they don't always work. And i I would be curious to go and see a stage production of Streetcar now. Now that I know the beats of the story and and that, and I'd be curious to see how how that looks compared to the filmic version. But the, this this film version was 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 solid, and I think that the cast are very good. I think the cast are probably the standout. In this particular yeah, totally. thing um, Obviously Marlon Brando's um, Vocalisation choices aside he, he is very compelling Yeah I think he's pretty But he's also got this amazing
2: presence Like he's You know we're kind of disgusting. He's not a physically very big guy At least not at this point in his life But you know Like he's not a very large man He's quite He's very muscular But he's quite lean And a little bit shorter than everybody else But he does exude this like Hmm alpha kind of dominating energy which is sort of the idea you know just little looks he gives and the way also but also the way he's he's framed the shadows the lights the way it's kind of it all works together really well and then Blanche I mean is is just completely the opposite of that you know she's constantly kind of put down constantly kind of overshadowed often literally with the lighting and mm. yeah, no, it's it's very very well done. Mm. Sorry, sorry.
1: Yeah, no, I was just thinking. Um, we sort of one of the things I said as we started watching it was um, when Stanley came on with his like sexy kind of muscular thing going on. I was like, oh, I get now why I didn't get this play when I was a teenager
2: mm.
1: because you know, <laughs> as like a young closeted asexual, sort of you know, not knowing that at the time, mm-hmm. it was just the play made no sense to me. I was yeah. like, why are mm-hmm. these people doing what they're doing? Like, I know there's subtext, but I wasn't like getting. That yeah. subtext, and now watching it, I was like, "Oh yeah." Whereas okay. a
0: red-blooded this uh, heartthrob over here, I, I was like, <laughs> "Oh yeah, I get it. I know what's going on um, here." Yeah. But I mean, and that's the thing, and then that's like,
2: it's it, it's so core to like Stanley and Stella's relationship as well. Is you kind of going, well, "Why? What is? Why? What mm-hmm. is this?" And like, it's it's a purely like physical, just overwhelming sexual attraction mm-hmm. between the two of them. And that's why. And it's not even kind of subtext, really. It's 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 text. text. Like, it's there. Um, And Blanche is kind of like, what on earth? But then we see that, like, no, she's just, they just are like, they just click. And that's why she'll never, at least in the play, won't ever actually leave him. You know, Mm. there's that, that codependence kind of yeah Mm. because i remember
1: thinking that as a teenager like why doesn't she just leave and you know obviously it's not that simple yeah Yeah. um and you know with that you know added element of that attraction you know you can see why
0: yeah Mm. yeah um i do want to give a a bit of a a shout out to um the the sort of two co-stars of this film that aren't vivian lee and marlon brando (laughs) because They're, they're great actors guess what we we knew that we because we know who that what their names are but um Kim hunter who plays Stella and carl Malden who plays mitch yeah um i won't be able to tell them from another actor from the 50s largely based on how no, they I look as a you know contemporary dirty millennial watching films but yeah. but they're both great and i think Kim hunter as, as Stella was was great and i'm i'm yeah. sort of like I, I almost feel like the did she not do a lot after this? Is it just that I missed the window of films that were her career? Really, I, I really don't know. Mm. Yeah, I think it. I think it's very easy to overlook,
2: particularly um, Mitch and Stella, but the, kind of the whole supporting cast in the play because Stanley and Blanche are just too. I mean, they are literally just overwhelming, dominating characters. Mm. Who Those take personalities over. Yeah. are just huge. Yeah, they're huge, and that's you get, that's why they can't exist together. Um, so it's kind of easy to 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 gloss over Stella and Mitch, but those two, but they're great characters, mm. and those two actors, and I think yeah, particularly Kim Hunter, mm. were great. Did such a great job with them.
0: Oh, I I tell a lie. I have seen Kim Hunter in something, but I didn't see her face. She's Doctor Zira from the original Planet of the Apes.
2: Oh, ah. the
0: um the the female scientist ape that um. Is like being very empathetic to the Charlton Heston human yeah, character. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Well, there you go. And yeah, again,
2: was... going back to Simpsons parodies, the only really, <laughs> the only real <laughs> way
0: I know about Planet of the Apes. Uh, oh, I mean, Doctor says <laughs> Those, those Simpsons connections. I mean, we. We've got to talk about it (laughs) We we have to now. Because as I I said to you, it was kind of my only understanding of one, the general vague understanding of Streetcar Named Desire, that the meme that is Stella, Stella. and the line, you know, I've always relied on the kindness of strangers. On top of that, my only knowledge of Streetcar was all about that Simpsons episode where Marge is uh in a musical adaptation and yep. uh, the, the her relationship with Homer is being contrasted with the relationships in the musical yep. um and just just the whole scene where in Blanche is flirting with the newspaper boy and you just start singing the song that Apoo sings yes <laughs> which is just, <laughs> exactly yeah it's it it, it is remarkable it comes up a lot how the Simpsons really cornered a market on certain really, sort of, otherwise classic elements of like American entertainment. Yeah, but it feels weird that they're the ones that have capitalized on streetcar when it's it's so ubiquitous, it's so well known. Yeah, why is it only the Simpsons as a parody that's really caught on with it? If you get what I mean.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I get. I think I get what you mean. I think maybe because well, like, it's very, it's quite. I think it's tough to parody because, like, and, you know, until I was, till I read it for the first time in high school, like I only knew it from that Simpsons episode. It's like, oh, kind of funny, you know, doing a play. But then, I, and I had no idea that one, it wasn't a musical, mm. and two, it was actually a very serious piece of drama. Mm. <laughs> like,
1: I mean, I was telling <laughs> my mum what we were doing before, and she was like, "Oh, you mean the musical?" I'm like, yeah. "No, no, this <laughs> no, no,
0: one's no, no, not a no. musical. Like, <laughs> it feels like it should be a musical." <laughs> yeah. Um, and the, so but, many is that, but is
2: that just because we've we've ref, our, our frame of reference is? It's
1: not because I have a confession to oh, make. Okay. Oh.
2: Um.
1: So I've never seen a full episode of The Simpsons.
0: That's, uh, that's okay. Ever in
1: my life. Uh, so I've never seen this episode, mm-hmm. uh, the musical streetcar episode. Not seen it. Um. But I agree that there are beats within the film where I'm sitting there going, and then they burst into song. Oh, no, yeah. they haven't.
0: Yeah, there was a moment okay. we we even said when mm-hmm. we were watching it where I think. Someone had turned the radio on, or it was it was Brando, and he was. I think it was during one of the earlier conversations that that Stanley. So the had second
1: with, time he lost his shirt.
0: Yeah, yeah. When he was having a conversation with Blanche, and he sort of turns away, and it almost feels like, with the rhythm of the way the scene's going, that he's about to sing his feelings. Yeah, yeah. And it it never happens. A man I, doesn't have feelings. But I don't know if that's just because also films from this time period, from that late forties, early fifties, if they weren't noirs, they were the big musicals. And I don't know if it's just because we're so conditioned to films from this time period. Maybe, yeah. Bursting into song, it's like, well, where's, where's the song? Where's yeah. the, where's the musical number? Where's the, you know, the card game song? You know, and I, I think it also doesn't help that we reviewed Guys and Dolls last year, mm-hmm. in which Marlon Brando is a singing, dancing, tap, tapping person with Frank Sinatra. So, well, I mean, that, that going taking back to the that could be why they
2: were thinking, okay, well. What's a good? Because you got first of all you got the joke of, it's a very serious drama Mm. turned into a musical. So that's that's our joke layer one. Mm. But what's a good play that lends itself to that? Mm. And maybe they had the same thought process of like the beats lend itself. It's got these highly iconic lines. These big, broad characters not broad characters but big characters. Mm. Well, the more dramatic you
1: know. a piece is, the funnier the lampooning yeah, exactly. is when you turn
2: it into yeah, comedy, yeah. so.
0: Mm. I don't know. Maybe there is something there. Yeah. Um <laughs> but yeah, the <clears throat> the the performance is very strong. I I quite liked the way it was shot. Um yeah. but I I wouldn't say it was spectacular. No. But but yeah. there were there were a few shots here and there where I went, "Oh, I quite like that." I quite like at the end where she's on the floor, where Blanche is on the floor, having... Yeah. Kind of looking down almost from the doctor's perspective. Yeah. yeah. And she's upside down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and
1: then when they, they she had to reach her hand up and they did this weird sort of thing with her body so that she could still be in the frame the entire yeah, time.
0: Yeah. It was yeah. very interesting. There was yeah. some really interesting choices there. Um, and I think largely it, it was effective, but without being, I guess, spectacular. Mm-hmm. Um, and I i do also wonder if because a couple of weeks ago we we watched citizen kane which is from 10 years before this but is you know a black and white film as well yeah and the shots that they attempted in that film felt a lot more ambitious uh but then again the type of story that they're telling is much more yeah. grandiose and and sort of code breaking yeah. uh whereas this is trying to create a particular feeling um from the stage show i i do i do have to ask patrick yeah because i know that now because i now know that the stage play takes place entirely in the apartment mm-hmm. are the additions of the non-apartment scenes do they work for you i'm trying to treat the film
2: adaptation as its own thing mm. so yeah i do think it works i think um I think. I think if they, you, you could, they could have made it work a little bit better by perhaps tweaking some of the lines here and there. Like there's the bit where Blanche says, "I'm going to light, a, I'm going to light a candle," and it's like, well, she's already lighting the candle at, at that bar they go to, and, mm. and it makes a little bit more sense in the context of the play. Yeah, where, where they the have apartment. an open flame. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, and that just felt a little bit like, oh yeah, we can see you're lying again. Mm. <laughs> like, you know, it's perhaps like they didn't quite know why, she didn't quite know why she had to say that. It was just, yeah. But <clears throat> that's just sort of an example of like ways they probably could have tweaked it a little bit better. Mm. But no, I think overall in terms of it being a movie, mm. they were they were good additions. Okay. Um, it made the world a little more visually interesting mm. to look it at, was... especially we saw quite a lot of outside of their, of their house, of yeah. their apartment block. Like, yeah. That was quite good seeing, you know, Mm. because often in in the play stuff happens and it happens out on the stairwell and things like that. And that's kind of all you really see and Mm. stuff happens on the street, but you hear it off stage, you know, like the flower, Mm. the lady selling flowers and things like that. like The harbinger
0: of doom. Yeah, exactly. (laughs)
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you hear her calling Mm. from the street, but you don't, you know. We don't see her creepily walk into frame. I mean, yeah, I I think, I can't remember if you see her or not, but Mm. like, it's not, Yeah, you don't actually see her walking down the street, you know, because you don't see the street. Right. But by adding things like that, Mm. I think, from a filmmaking perspective, it just fleshed out the world a little bit more Mm. um, and broke up perhaps some of the not monotony. I don't know what the right word is. You guys might know. You're you know, theatre doctors. (laughs) But like when you there's that there's that thing that happens to your brain. Like when you go and watch a play, you are more able to sit and you're more able to accept Long the, periods of dialogue, like the suspension of disbelief—is it kind of? That? Yeah, it's it's yeah. perhaps that. I feel like it's just more of a. Your brain just does a different thing when you go to watch a play to when you go to watch a film. Mm. When you go watch a film, you need a little bit more visual stimulation, mm. Mm. and as that's you're because you're, a play, you're
1: so used to having cuts between yeah, shots. it could just as be. Well. I Maybe
2: mean, it's just the conditioning. Maybe that's more mm. what I mean. Like yeah. you're conditioned to watch a movie a certain way, and you're conditioned to watch a play a certain way. Mm. And I think if you just try to put a play mm. verbatim onto film with all the dialogue, without the cuts, things like that, hmm. it wouldn't translate properly. So by making it a bit, by giving it a bit more, it makes it so making it a bit more visually interesting, adding a bit more of that sort of traditional filmic language, yeah. it fleshes it out and makes it easier for us as an audience to to watch. Okay, Does that make sense? That does make yeah. sense, yeah. yeah. So I think they'll, if, long all that rambling short, I think they'll, uh, good additions. okay yeah.
1: it's interesting because there was one scene that i didn't think worked oh, yeah. in the auditions and that was when they were randomly for like 10 seconds in the factory oh yeah that's the one like everything else out. worked yeah. for me <laughs> but like let's have 10 seconds in a factory where some guys are randomly fighting and stanley's just kind of watching and you that's don't the whole really scene.
0: know until later that it's because he's told mitch yeah um that that blanche is a a no good hussy, basically. She
1: just slept with other men.
0: Yeah, she was at the Flamingo Hotel doing, ooh, all sorts of nefarious, yeah. not specified things. Um, but we, yeah, um,
2: but we, it does stand out. Like yeah. I can see why they put it in, but it stands out as like, oh, this feels weird. If
1: it was like, a bit longer,
0: yeah,
2: I
1: think it would that, have yeah, been I fine. Think you're right. I think it, was just, so it was so quick. short. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um. So the, the the sort of third act. Climax of this film is uh, Stella is the baby. Baby's great. I don't think we learn the baby's name in the film.
1: No, just baby.
0: Um, that's. I'm going to presume it's Desire. <laughs> A baby named Desire or something like that. Um, A baby named Desire. But um, but the 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 main denouement of this film is um, Blanche's sort of full breakdown, which is exacerbated slash triggered mm. by stanley raping her yeah and i was was getting uh a, a vibe not from not just from the film but from both of you going oh well nothing bad can happen from here now yeah. sort of <laughs> comments yep the scene yeah that, yeah that scene where um
2: it begins with stella you know she's at the hospital she's yeah she's gone into labor they've told stanley to go home and yeah it's just him and blanche mm. in, at the house and it's just
0: like Yeah, their build up is and you can you can tell something not good is going to happen. Yeah, I honestly didn't expect it to be a rape. Right. Um, What
1: did you expect?
0: Yeah, I thought he might kick the shit out of her, uh, but I wasn't expecting uh, sexual violence, despite the fact that that's what the film has been sort of layering on. Yeah, uh, or indeed the the original text has been layering on. I, I think the way that they shot it was very well done. Given um, obviously the restrictions at the time, yeah, yeah, and I also think is probably just well done in terms of taste as well, and the way it was done with the mirror breaking, and the image of Blanche, sort of lying prone in the shattered glass was just a very effective way of showing that. Um, and yeah, but but I really wasn't expecting that, and I don't know if that's just because it's my first time watching it, and like even with all of these, like this, this, this hunger and this animalistic nature that all the characters are exhibiting throughout and which we were commenting on, it, it still surprised me.
1: That's interesting because like, as a woman, I'm going to play the woman guard. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, whenever you see this sort of film where you have a man who is framed the way that they frame Stanley, mm. I always expect rape. Right. Um, you know, it just it, there's, when they've got that sort of danger. When you've got a woman who is obviously mm. vulnerable, obviously unstable, and is in put in this situation where mm. she's alone with a man, that mm. is the first place my mind goes to.
0: Yeah, no, it, it trust me, it was it was on my my list of options for bad things Stanley could yeah. do in this scene. But it, I, I honestly thought it was more likely that there was going to be an altercation in which he could potentially have either badly injured her or killed her or she could have killed him with the broken glass yeah like i thought not knowing anything i thought it was going to end with one of them dying um or or being um badly injured in a in that sense yeah. um but the I think it's quite a good ending, in terms of the consequence of what that action then yes, brings. In I terms of, that. like, as a dramatic narrative. Yeah, I
2: think it's um, I, I think it does show. It's mm. the right way to phrase. <laughs> I I I think. And again, I'm trying to maybe not I'm trying to not compare it to the play so much, but I, I at least I think what it does is by is by is by having him rape her and then that just completely shatters her. Mm. It's it's kind of it's, it's not it's not kind of um undermining the seriousness of, yeah, it, of it, the it act. It acknowledges
1: her trauma. Yeah, it's like yeah.
2: this is yeah, it, it, I think I think it's a especially in the 50s I think there would it may have been a you know, an inclination to like kind of uh, perhaps, perhaps sort of play down how traumatic rape would rape is, mm. and I think the movie and the play it doesn't shy away from that at yeah. all. Yeah, mm. I think that's a very I think it's a very powerful ending, and it's also even just like thematically characterised in terms of character, like it fits because mm. mm. Stanley's whole thing is he wants he wants to mentally break her. Mm. He doesn't. He because like he knows he could physically, yeah. if he wanted to, and that's not. He doesn't care about that. He yeah. wants. He wants to destroy this woman. And I think it
0: also ties into the, yeah. the well, the desire uh, aspect. That too, yeah. the, the hunger. Yeah. The and the yeah. and just the fact that throughout the piece, Stanley is constantly belittling everyone around him. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Stella. He's very much like you know saying you're under my thumb this the, you know a man's home is his castle even if it's a dump you know that kind of thing in his circle of friends um he's he's frequently having to be held back by the three well of i them. think that's it and that's
2: yeah. it. that's how he dominates his male friends His by that he uses physical violence yeah. to be the, the top dog there yeah and the way he dominates the women in his life is through sex yeah forced or otherwise yeah you
0: know? it's and I think it's again really interesting that we were noticing in those earlier scenes where we saw Stella and Stanley being quite affectionate, Stella was nibbling him a lot or biting him a lot, yeah. Which is, a, in itself, like a slightly violent form of of showing affection. Yeah. And it's it's just like all the warning signs were there and I didn't see them. It's yeah. it's really interesting and also the fact that the other result of this it's not just uh, Blanche being taken away by um uh, mental health care workers uh, but it's the fact that stella leaves him which is interesting yeah, yeah. Uh, is that not what happens in the play
1: I didn't even read that as her leaving him
0: you uh, see so so I read it as her cuz she takes the baby and she goes up to to the apartment upstairs and she is basically just doing the that's it I I think it, for, for my reading was in that moment she realized that she should have believed blanche about stanley raping her yeah i think she she believes that happens and in that moment my reading is she's taking the baby and going well that's it i'm i'm leaving him and now whether or not she's successful or not we don't know but that her intention at that point is not again, not Not a second. She more. even
2: has a line of don't ever touch me again or something. Yeah, something yeah. Like that. and yeah.
1: I, I, I find that interesting because, you know, obviously uh, in that scene they had the women talking about it, saying, you know, we never believe them, you know, never believe a woman when if if mm. she's saying she's been raped, which is a horrible line mm. because always believe mm. a woman or a person when they're saying they've been raped mm. because 99% of the time it's going to be true. Mm. Um, But, yeah, I did not read that as her definitively leaving him despite the never touch being I mean, despite grabbing the baby and going upstairs because previously we've seen her tell mm. him to leave her alone, storming upstairs yeah. mm. and within an hour she's back down there with him yeah. again. But,
0: but I think the fact we didn't see that is quite telling. I think the fact they chose to end the film there for me made it that much stronger because really what as an audience is our benefit of seeing that scene other than, Oh they've they've spoon feathers the the she's definitely left him thing. For for me I read that as because the film ends with him still screaming for Stella the way yeah. he did in in the 20th minute of this film. Um but she we don't see her move. The final shot is of the house with the screams of Stella over it but no movement. Which is why I read it as she's gone or mm. she has made that disconnection.
1: Yeah, I not, didn't read it that way at all. Okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I'm, I'm inclined to agree with with Sarah, mm. but I can't. But when you, with the way you, I can see, I can see how that into, your yeah. reading does work as well. Yeah, but I think, and again, maybe it's because I am influenced by the play where mm. she that that doesn't happen. She stays with him. She doesn't believe the rape allegation. Everyone, you know, it may be kind of like there's some kind of like humming and ahhing, but really, not. It's like, not. Nothing's with- going to change. The only yeah. person that's gonna, the only thing that's going to change is Blanche is being sent to an asylum, right? Like, the, the and that's kind of the real tragedy of the play is mm. like, this lady has just been attacked and broken, and at the very end, the, she's got no one. Mm. Like, not even her sister believes her.
1: Yeah, like, and she's the whole. Point of this character is, oh, she's so lonely, yeah. and she's never had anyone, and she's trying to reach out to people. She's reaching out in the complete wrong ways. Mm. Yeah, but you know, you know, it is quite tragic, you know, watching her go through that because she she seems like a person we've all met. Like, yeah, I, I swear, I, I've no know I know people like her, like and, Blanche, yeah, like Blanche. Mm. And you sort of go, you know, this is definitely based on a real person because yeah. I know this person. I've seen people like this, and you do want to help them, but also you kind of don't want to be near them because
2: because they they need so much yeah yeah they,
1: they are very vampiric yeah in in the way that they relate to people yeah,
0: yeah. blanche i really didn't like um i, I don't think you're meant to uh, like, no, no, no I, 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 like i think that's no i i i do absolutely get that's the point that mm. it, it sort of again it ties into the they're mostly all horrible people or not mm. not particularly nice people but i did find it very hard to sort of connect with Blanche as a protagonist because she's the first character we're introduced to uh, arriving in New Orleans and you get the sense that this is her story. I mean, Blanche Dubois is is the most well-known name associated with this story. Yeah. And I I found it very hard to be empathetic to her for most of this. Um, but obviously, post the rape... I, I'd not only gotten to know this character, but I had also seen them directly on the end of trauma. Whereas all of their other stories beforehand, it's hard to know what's truly true and what is fabrication. Like um, like the like the story of her ex husband killing himself, mm. which I I understand is something true and that did happen in her past, but because of the way that she plays around with truth and the way that we're exposed to that very early on i found it quite hard to connect with her for quite a lot of this film um mm-hmm. but then again the, there wasn't really a character i latched onto and was like oh yeah there's my guy there's the person i love there wasn't even like a likable dog that walked past like it was just <laughs> but, but it, it was it was interesting and the, the, the character is compelling yeah this it's not to say that this is a bad character or badly acted by Vivian Lee or whatever like it's it is pretty phenomenal, but I did find it a little hard to 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 connect with that character for at least the first half of the film
2: yeah i I, I think I understand what you mean and yeah. i and i and I get it I, I think for me the reason why i i think I love this play so much and is not so much because identify with the character and i empathize with the characters it's more the way they are written Mm. it's 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 their it's their motivations it's their feelings Mm. it's their their actions it's make it makes me it's just it feels so real Mm. in quite a disturbing way yeah and it's like you know there but for the grace of god Mm. i might be acting on impulses like that too and see see think those kinds of things to say are okay or those kinds of actions for everyone not just like Stanley or Stella or Blanche or like just the way all the characters kind of manipulate but also mm. like you know take things from each other it's it's, yeah. it's, it's very it's very survival you know it's all that survival and all that blah 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 blah, blah. Mm. but i find it very real And I Mm. think that's, so I take your point. Yeah. She's hard to empathize with, Mm. but I watch her. And and like you said, Sarah, it's like, I know this lady. Mm. Yeah. Perhaps not, perhaps not someone quite so big and, and, you know, uh, domineering, but I know her and I know Stanley and I know, St- like I know these people yeah. because I have met them all before a million
0: times. Absolutely. And I, I think that and is, and that's, of the and that's
2: what I just find. Oh, it just,
0: it just hooks me. And it's a real strength of this as well is that, yeah, yeah we, we're watching scenes with Mitch and it's like, we've all met a Mitch. We've all yeah. met someone who is really hopeless on a first date like that. We, we you know, yeah. and again, we've met Stanley's and that's a troubling realization to make. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I think, that's what this text does really well, and I think the film does a, a tremendous job of communicating that as well. Mm. But
2: I do take your point. Mm. They they are they are hard to empathise with in yeah. that more, perhaps in that more traditional way mm. that we're used to. Yeah, mm. yeah.
1: and it's interesting because I think there's this whole genre of plays that's just full of terrible people. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and usually I hate plays like this. Like I saw one in London a couple of years ago and I sat there for two and a half hours. Like, what the hell am I watching? I hate everyone. What play was it? Sweat. I've never
2: heard
1: of it. It, mm. was, it was, I don't know, a big West End play right. and it was the only play I saw. Everything else I saw was a musical. I was like, why did I not watch a musical tonight? <laughs> oh, why didn't I go see Les Mis? But, mm. um, you know. Uh... Oh,
0: Les Mis. talk about a play where you hate everyone. <laughs> Stop singing. So- yeah. Sort your troubles out. Don't steal that bread. Get a job at a bakery. Come on. It's not that hard.
1: (laughs) But, you know, it's just this this whole genre where they're terrible people going through very real things and either Mm. you you sit there and go, yeah, this feels real and therefore I am compelled by it or you sit there and go, I hate everything. I'm just going to, you know, I'm completely closed off from it mm. um, and don't want anything to do with this story because everyone sucks and they're making stupid decisions. Mm. Um, but they're the sort of plays that personally as an actor, I'd love to be in and yeah. I'd hate to watch.
2: Mm. I th- I know what you mean. Yeah. What I think this play does really well is because I know exactly what you mean about plays so where he's like, God, these characters are just, they're terrible. They're making dumb decisions. It's driving me crazy. I think the play does such a good job of, justifying mm, you get why actions. they're making those yeah. decisions yeah mm. so you're not sitting there going like what why would you do what doesn't make sense like but
0: yeah it, it you get it you understand
2: why everyone's doing what they're doing mm.
0: would you guys like some trivia about the film a streetcar name would we okay all of this trivia is sourced from imdb so if it's not true don't blame me yeah uh as the film progresses the set of the kowalski apartment gets smaller to heighten the suggestion of Blanche's increasing claustrophobia, so they basically Whoa. built the set so that they could squidge the walls in a little bit, and yeah, so as okay. the film progresses, the apartment gets smaller.
2: I can see that yeah, now, looking sense. back, yeah, especially yeah.
1: those last scenes. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it was something I was aware of coming into this, and I watched out for it, and was like, "God damn, they're doing it. Yeah. This is this is really great." Um, and again. Just very effective. Little little nice trick there. Uh, Mickey Coon, who plays the young sailor who helps Vivian Lee onto the streetcar at the start of the oh, yeah. film, had previously appeared with Vivian Lee in a little film called Gone with the Wind. Uh, he played Bo Wilkes, the child of Olivia de Havilland's character, Melanie. Um, towards the end of that film, uh, he was basically playing a five-year-old boy. When Mickey mentioned to someone else on set uh, in Streetcar... Uh, that he was in Gone with the Wind, word got back to Lee and she called him into her dressing room for a half an hour chat. In an interview in the 70s, Mickey Coon stated that Lee was extremely kind to him, uh, even though she wasn't a stranger, and was one of the loveliest ladies he had ever met. Oh, well, that's nice. I just thought it was a really cool thing. That's nice. I like that. We need something yeah. heartwarming. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And I can't remember if that was a, a trivia we covered when we did Gone with the Wind a couple of years ago, but well, if we did, we've done it again. And if we yeah. didn't, now you know. Now That's you know. something new. <laughs> there were clashes on set between Vivian Lee and her fellow cast members. Uh, besides being the only major cast member not to have come from the Broadway production, oh. Lee was a classically trained actress from England, uh, whereas most of the other actors were using the Stanislavski method. Even so... Lee was determined to make a good picture and create a great performance. She reportedly couldn't wait to get to set every day and was often the last lead actor to leave at the end of the day as well. Oh, that's good. Yeah. It is interesting, um, because it's a little further on in the trivia, that here it is, the nine members uh, of the original Broadway cast repeated their roles in this film. So um, Marlon Brando, Kim Hunter, Carl Malden, Ruby Bond, Nick Dennis, Peg, Hilliass, Richard Garrick, Anne Deere and Edna Thomas playing the Mexican, the Mexican woman, woman. <laughs> as it was credited. Uh, they reprised their roles from the Broadway play, uh, which had debuted four years before this film was released. So, do you is it just, does it say why the original Blanche didn't? They wanted a big name star oh, um, because the thing is, suck. Marlon Brando wasn't a big star. This is his breakout film. Yeah, um, Ooh, still. So originally, they wanted Olivia De Havilland. Um, right. but she turned it down uh well and also she was way too expensive um so they got Vivian Lee um who, who agreed to do it so yeah they they replaced the original uh Blanche
1: who was the original yeah, Blanche? do we know
0: uh, like, I,
1: let's give her some credit is
0: she is she someone that we know let me just pull it up because I was reading this before God uh, that would oh because that's like' you, the uh, micro you'd lady's be so dirty like the yeah. one actor yeah. who gets
1: yeah
0: Jessica Tandy was the original oh. uh, Vivian Leigh. Uh, funnily enough, also an English actress. Yeah. Uh, she's from London. Um, but yeah, Jessica Tandy was also in uh, Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, she did have a film career. Um, she's also the oldest actress to receive an Academy Award for Best Actress uh, when at the age of 80, uh, she won the Oscar for being in Driving Miss Daisy.
2: Hmm. There
0: you go. See, I tell you what, good things come to those who get kicked out of this film. Fair yep, enough. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, But yeah, at, at that time, Jessica Tandy not star, Vivian Lee a star. So yeah, they brought her in. Um, which is a shame because I'm really curious to know what it would have looked like with the entire yeah, original cast. That would have been really mm-hmm. interesting. You know, it'd be a bit like for the Hamilton recording if they just replaced um, the lady that played um, Elizabeth. Oh, sorry, Eliza. Um, Skyler. If they replaced her with, oh, Madonna or somebody, you know, it would just it would feel weird.
1: But like having it be Blanche kind of makes sense. One, because she is the lead. Hmm. But two, because she is the outsider. She's the
2: outsider. It is. It is. You're mm. right. You're absolutely mm. right. It yeah. is the. Yeah. It does. It makes total sense. And I get why they did it. Yeah. But also, like, that's rough. Yeah. That's <laughs> so mean. Yeah. Uh,
0: the Catholic Legion of Decency. Oh. Uh, dun- the dun-
2: Legion dun- of Decency. <laughs> 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 they threatened to
0: sink The box office prospects of this film With a condemned rating mm,
2: We're so, going to condemn your rating Tennessee Williams <laughs> The Catholic Legion of Decency <laughs>
0: Now we laugh about this But this was a big deal at the time um, So the director um, Aliyah Kazan Made a last ditch effort To get his uncut version Of this film seen by the public He asked Warner Brothers To try releasing the film Both with his director's version and the edited version, and marketing it clearly so that audience members could choose for themselves. Uh, Warners said no Then Kazan campaigned for his director's cut To be seen at the Venice Film Festival Again, Warners refused uh, Since the Legion uh, (laughs) mandated That only their approved version could be released And the studio didn't want to risk Earning a condemn rating Which would hurt the box office As a result, Kazan's version would not be seen Until uh, the Warners restored this film in 1993 (laughs) So we joke about the Legion of Decency They were
2: powerful, yeah
0: Yeah, yeah um, but what a name! Oh, the Catholic
2: <laughs> Legion of Decency. It's just,
0: <laughs> just it. It is. It yeah. is,
2: ironically. Just a, just a bad name. <laughs> We're uh, going to stink your profits, Ilya Kazan. <laughs> 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 um,
0: the production code censors demanded sixty-eight script changes from the Broadway stage. Oh, I think there was one more. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> No, they knew. They went. Oh, we have to leave this. That one in. would be indecent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it wasn't just the Catholic Legion of Decency that was affecting this film, but also the Production Code. Um, most of the references that were removed uh, were in relation to homosexuality and rape. Yeah. In his memoirs, Tennessee Williams wrote that he liked the film, but felt that it was quote slightly marred by the Hollywood ending end quote. I mean, I kind of I'm inclined to agree
2: a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So
0: as I understand it. Her and by her, I mean Blanche. Blanche's hu- yep. ex-husband came out as a gay man, yep. and that's what led to that's, that's, that's why he killed himself. Yeah. yeah, I mean, again, it's that thing where
2: the the kind of the beats of the story she tells them are kind of the same. You yeah. know, she they're dancing, and she's what's I can't remember what the line is. You're not a man. Whatever the line. You're weak. Like. weak I think. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're, weak. Anime, you're I, weak. I've lost all respect for you. Yeah, yeah, she has. She she loses it, at him at a dance, and then he runs out and yeah, blows his brains out. Um. But yeah, it's because he
0: is gay. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, they, they hit it reasonably well, because yeah. <laughs> I didn't pick up on that until reading my notes after we watched the film. But we should say, actually, Vivian Lee didn't come into this completely cold. She had played Blanche in the first London production oh, of the play, okay. uh, under the direction of her then-husband, Laurence Olivier. Um, she later said that Olivier's direction of her pro- of her production influenced her performance much more than Elia uh, Kazan's direction of the film did. <laughs>
1: <Burn. Shade.
0: laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, she wasn't coming into the film completely uh, cold, I guess. Yeah, like right. she'd had a she'd had a. It yeah, makes production. sense, you, know, you get, Yeah, yeah. If you do, if you wanted to, do, like saying, if you wanted to get that outsider to come in, at least she's played the character before. Mm. Yeah. Um, Vivian Lee and Marlon Brando didn't get along at the beginning of the shoot um, but these conflicts didn't have anything to do with their acting style as people suspected uh, given the Stanislavsky method this is the classical training mm. um, Brando was just getting very annoyed at her very British manners and stuffiness um, the two did eventually become friends as the the film progressed uh, Brando's dead-on impression of uh, her husband Lawrence Olivier's Henry V did a lot to break the ice apparently oh. <laughs> Um, by the time this film was made the desire streetcar line had been converted to buses but streetcars were still used in other parts of the city the uh, transport authorities were able to lend the production a car with the desire uh, destination sign for the opening sequence of the film So, cool. just some cool yeah. public transportation facts yeah.
1: aren't they so good mm-hmm. <laughs> wouldn't it be great if we had real public transportation here
0: Oof. Oh, let's, let's not get into that. Look, yeah. there's a new cat boss that's going that's to That's not going to help like. me. Okay, I'm sorry. Public transportation is all about you. I yes, it about is. That. Specifically
1: about me, obviously. Cheese.
0: <laughs> mm. To prepare for the part of Stanley, Marlon Brando began a daily workout routine at a local gym where he exercised with weights to build up his chest and biceps. He is shredded. Like, he
2: looks incredible in this mm. movie. His <laughs> arms. Yeah, those arms are like... Yeah. And it's not like modern kind of like... You know, Chris mm. Hemsworth. Like you look like a f- kind of a bit of a freak kind mm. of muscle. He's just yeah. like, oh, you're just, you're just, you just
1: fit. kind of <laughs> poke him.
2: Yeah, yeah, like you're just, you are. You yeah. look great. There was a bit better than Chris
0: Evans. Really about him. fit.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris Evans, not. Chris Hemsworth, yeah, it's that. It's too many Chris's. Anything. That's the problem.
0: many hmm? Chris's, but he looks incredible. He does. Yeah. Um, prior to this role, uh, Brando was not known for a, uh, having a muscle-bound physique. And when Truman Capote first observed Brandon's transformation, he said it was as if a stranger's head had been attached to the brawny body, as in certain counterfeit photographs. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean he does. He like he does look. You can
2: kind of see like why this is a real breakout role. Like. Mm. And I I mean, I'm I'm not overly familiar with kind of classic cinema, so I don't know, but I wonder if like that much kind of man chest Mm. and like, and like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, like he's, he's very physically fit Mm. and he is very much kind of portrayed to be sexy. Mm. And I wonder if that was that common in the early fifties. I don't.
0: And I'm kind oh, of, no. I'm wondering if you guys
2: know. I,
1: well, I'm I just don't. thinking like, back to like my, my history mm. lessons from year 12 where we were talking about like the It Girls of like the 20s and 30s and there were some sort of male actors. That's true, yes. Who were yeah, was, quite um, sexy. Well, yeah. Um, but there were always, it was always like that small group of really sexy, just good-looking classic. Mm.
2: But that's it, I, were, that, were they good-looking but like,
0: I, I, but did you see so much skin? Was it so much, was it so raw before? I, I think it's more a case that what we get today... We see a lot more people that fit that mold, yeah and I, do, I just don't think those sorts of films or stories really relied on flesh in the same way, yeah like particularly when you look at like the, the the worst you know things like Tarzan and things like that where That's which there were people yeah, who were yeah, you know yeah. running around showing off their their incredible physiques. but it does feel as though that has become more of a thing that we see, particularly post. 1980s action films, and once you start getting like the roided up Schwarzeneggers and Stallones, it does feel as though we've sort of become more acclimatized to the showing off of the physique in that way. Yeah, Um, but especially men. Like these
1: days, you're more likely to see like a big, burly chest with lots of muscles. That's so overdone. Mm -hmm. It's kind of weird. Yeah, but you
0: know, like Adam Driver in the Last Jedi. (laughs) You know, which we talked about while watching this. That thick boy that he is. Yeah. But
2: yeah, I, 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 it's it's I, it's interesting. It's just an interesting thought to me. Like, mm. and I wonder if it's the way he is he is portray- like framed or portrayed to us as well. Like, it's not just the fact that he is showing a lot of bare chest. It's also that he is positioned to us in quite a. Kind of quite like a sexual way. The camera vibe. lingers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, yes. Mm. That yes, that's what I'm. I, that that's yes, I'm trying to say mm. it. lingers on him. Like we're we're kind of being invited to
0: look at him. Yeah. Is it because for quite a while we're meant to be viewing him the way that Blanche is viewing? Well, that's him. what yeah, I'm wondering. Yeah. And I'm wondering how, how common that was. Of like
1: the female gaze. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Oh, the fem- well, in that case, not common at all.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and whether it was intentional or not, mm.
0: I I think it was definitely intentional the way this has been shot yeah. it doesn't feel well, like yes, it's an accident. look
1: yeah. if it's so sexy that i notice
0: okay it's yeah. intentional yeah exactly that's a good
2: yeah. rule uh, but be and and just i think that's one more thing that was like the sexual attraction from blanche to stanley is kind of an not an invention of the movie but definitely like they put way more emphasis on it in the movie than in the play in the yeah. play it's much more so she flirts just... with stanley but only because that's the only way she knows how to interact with men. Yeah. And that you know, it's part of okay. part of
0: what makes her such a tragic character. But sorry, sorry, you're gonna say something No, no, I what I was gonna say oh. is for the London <laughs> production, Vivian Lee bleached her famous brunette locks, um, but for the film she was wearing a wig. She wore bleached wigs throughout this film since Blanche is supposed to have ragged looking hair and look like someone who has led a rough life. But she didn't trust the American hairdressers. So Lee airmailed her wigs back to London to be cleaned and redressed by the wig maker and theatrical entrepreneur, Stanley Hall.
1: <laughs> that's, that's stardom right yeah. there.
0: Maybe that's why they didn't relate to her a lot. You know, yeah, like yeah. The others are like, you airmail your wigs?
1: Yes. Your dirty wigs, by the way. Fix my
0: wigs. Yeah. I don't trust a single American to do this. It has to be Stanley Hall. Uh, This is one of only two films uh, so far that has been awarded three acting Oscars, the other being 1976 Network. Um, Although both films were nominated, neither of those films won the Best Picture Oscar that year. Hmm. Uh, Coincidentally, the three that won, uh, Carl Malden won uh, Best Supporting Actor, uh, Kim Hunter won Best Supporting Actress making it the first time that uh, the Best Supporting Actors both came from the same film and Vivian Lee won for um, playing Blanche Marlon Brando was famously snubbed <laughs> it, it, there's a lot of deal online about him not getting the Oscar for oh. this uh, and I feel like the only way to say it is, is that big.
1: Who beat him out?
0: You know that's something that I should have researched
1: <laughs> so I will right now yeah. you should have seen that one coming
0: the waiting
2: Cinema catchup club will be right back
0: Brando was beaten out by Humphrey Bogart for his role in the African queen bogie so too bad, Brando. Too bad. <laughs> next time. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you mentioned next time. Next time, time Bogart. <laughs> next time. Uh, this was the first of four consecutive Best Actor Oscar nominations for Marlon Brando. Uh, 1952 saw Viva Zapata! And, and to an exclamation mark, um, I've I've never even heard Is of these. That, that classic
2: movie, Viva <laughs>
0: Zapata. Well, he was nominated for an Oscar that year, didn't win. Uh, then he was nominated for 1953's Julius Caesar and didn't win, uh, and culminating in 1954's On the Waterfront, which he did win. Yeah. So he got there in the end. Uh, but cool. yeah, four, four in a row is not bad. That's pretty good. Mm, you know, I think he's, he's a, not a bad actor this Marlon Yeah, Brando. Yeah,
2: he's all right. <laughs>
0: Uh, The final bit of trivia. In the climactic fight scene between Stanley and Blanche, the prop department had to replace 11 mirrors before the director was satisfied with the shattered glass effect that he was after. So that's 77 years of bad luck, which is going to run out in 2027. (laughs) Or, so or indeed, 2028, 20, because we are no longer in the year 2020, <gasps> as I keep forgetting. Yeah. Only oh, a few more years, guys. <laughs> yeah. There's a couple of very old props guys yeah. in a retirement home going, Oh, bear. this nightmare will be over soon. Which, 2028, 20, will finally be able to buy a lottery ticket. Woo-hoo. Yep. Yep. Look, some bits... <laughs> That's are... a good old man voice. Thank you. You, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Look, some bits don't work, but, you know. Can't <laughs> all <laughs> <laughs> be winners. Can't all be winners. Like uh, Mom Brander. Mm. Oh! <laughs> so, all that remains is for us to score the film. And Sarah, it was your first time watching A Streetcar Named Desire. So, what score are you going to give it out of 10?
1: Okay. I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. There were some interesting bits. Um, there was some good acting, some good writing going on. I was, It mostly captured my attention. Uh, there were bits where I sort of zoned out of big monologues. Um, so because of that, I'm going to give it five... Stealers! Out of ten.
0: Excellent. Uh, what about yourself, Patrick?
2: Uh, I mean, I, I still really like this movie. I think it's really, really great. And it's a excellent story. Very well acted. So I think I'm going to give it... Seven? No,
0: eight. Ripped... T-shirts out of 10. I think it's quite a good adaption. I'm curious to see the play, but I do think that the film is a little unspectacular. Um, I, I don't know that I would actively choose to watch this uh, film again, unless it was to do a count of how many times someone clothes got ripped because <laughs> it happened a lot. Yeah. Um, but, it, but it is well made. Um, and I think it is quite a good film. Uh, and it, it's worth a watch. I would say that. Um it's absolutely worth watching. So if you're listening to this and haven't watched it, it is worth it. I think it's it's yep. worth saying. So um I would give it 6 um saxophones by the bed out of 10 <laughs> because we haven't talked about the saxophone, the saxophone. By the bed that was just yeah the saxophone that was just by the bed on, uh, on the headboard and it I I was just captivated by that for a good minute. in the
1: mood. Come on. Mm. Yeah.
0: Kenny G before Kenny G. Well, it's New Orleans mm. you need to have music
2: at all times indeed <laughs>
0: uh, well that brings us to the end of our review of Streetcar Named Desire Patrick and Sarah thank you so much for joining me on this episode
1: thanks for having us thank you
0: Stephen. it's been a pleasure to be here <laughs> and for those of you listening at home thank you for listening in um, we have a Patreon if you want to slip us a dollar by all means do so online uh, just search for patreon.com forward slash the CCU no, there's no the in there <laughs> I just added that for the first time I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not say that because that's incorrect we can be found at patreon.com forward slash Podcast. We're also available to be found on Facebook. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club there. And we can be subscribed to uh, Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, all of those things and more. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club. But that's all for this week. So until next time, goodbye.
1: Still of a star.
0: <laughs> can, we, can we sing that You Can Always Depend On The Kindness <laughs> strangers? Oh, absolutely.
2: How's
1: yeah. it go? Teach me.
2: Yeah. Um, and, oh. No, I was going to look it up. That's right. Do you remember how it goes? Yeah, uh, it's. You can, can always, always depend on, on the, the kindness, kindness of strangers. strangers. They'll lift up your spirits so and keep you from danger. danger. Now here's a tip from Blanche you won't regret. A stranger's just a friend you haven't met. You haven't met. Streetcar, <laughs>
0: beautiful.
1: I love it. I think that was the best rendition. Yeah. <laughs>